hypergrace. Hypergrace is what some teachers criticize the grace teaching. What they mean is that those who teach grace are teaching extreme grace. Teaching that you can sin, you can live however you want, but God loves you, God's grace covers it, and so it's okay. But we never teach that. The Bible never teaches that. And I don't think any true grace teacher will ever teach it's okay to sin. Is it okay to sin? No. Sin will damage your life, your family, your future. But it is the grace of God that will enable you to overcome. So we have to always focus on the solution and not the problem. Okay. Can we outsin the grace of God? No. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That means grace is always greater than sin. Hallelujah. Amen. If we have this belief, this thought, that there could come a point in my life when I sin, 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 and bang, I have outsinned the grace of God and I'm lost completely. Some people call that the unpardonable sin. Right? The sin that cannot be forgiven. Then, instead of being secure in our heart, we would have a lot of doubt and fear. Amen. So, we must define grace according to the Bible. Paul is saying here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that grace abounds much more. Much more. You cannot outsin the grace of God. Sin is like a drop in the ocean of grace. Hallelujah. I'm not making sin not serious. Sin is serious. But I'm saying grace is so much more greater. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So, look at what Paul says. Look at verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Chapter 6, verse 1, Romans 6, verse 1. Okay. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, because Paul thought that grace is hooper, he was falsely accused. There were preachers in his time accusing Paul, saying, See, Paul is saying sin. Paul is saying sin more, sin more, sin more. Because where there is more sin, there'll be more grace. That is what they're accusing Paul of. But was Paul ever teaching sin more? No. Are you following me? Just because we know the grace of God superabounds, it doesn't mean we continue in sin. It simply means this. That God has remedy for our sinful lives. Sin will not cause God's grace to be cut off. People think like this. In prayer homes, in um, revival denominations, Pentecostal denominations, charismatic denominations, many denominations, they believe this. They believe this. Think. The grace of God is with you. That's what they think. Okay? So let's say you are the grace of God and that's you. Hold my hands. They think like this. The grace of God is with you. 
But when you sin, it's cut off. And you have to confess your sin and really show God that you are sorry and you are repentant. Come sense. And really show God that you are sorry, you have repented, and only then grace will come back to you. Right? That's what you think, right? So they teach this. Sin can cut off grace from your life. So to get back grace from your life, you have to impress God, or you have to perform, or you have to be good. You have to really repent, and then grace will come back. But that is opposite to the teaching of grace in the Bible. Right? Grace is needed by whom? Sinners. Who needs grace? Sinning people. If we think that by sin, we are cut off from grace, and only when we do good, grace comes back. See, good people don't need grace. Is grace needed by perfect people? So these people don't need grace. Grace is only needed by those who are sinning. Grace is only needed by those who need grace. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So, see, sin does not cut God's grace from your life. What Paul is saying is this. Even if you have sin in your life, the grace of God is greater. So just because you have sin doesn't mean grace is cut off. But in the midst of you sinning, the grace of God will abound much more if you will believe and trust in Him because grace is the virus to remove out sin. Grace is the antivirus to remove out the virus of sin. You will be seated. Did you get it? So, hypergrace. Use the Bible's word as it is. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Quickly, we'll go to a couple of verses. Are you there? Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. That word exceedingly, you know what's that word? Hooper. It's the same Greek word. Hooper. Exceedingly joyful. See, I'm just trying to make a comparison between different places where the same Greek word is used so that you will understand the actual meaning of Hooper Periesio. Okay? Second Corinthians, right? You are there? Chapter 7, verse 4. I'm exceedingly joyful. In other words, Paul is referring to hyper joy. Everyone say hyper joy. Hyper joy. Hooper perisio joy. Hooper perisio. Over the top. Extreme. Over. Can you have hyper joy? Yes. That's what the Bible is saying. Okay. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure okay again here the bible describes faith and patience with the same word hooper hooper everyone say hooper 
which means super faith, super patience, overflowing faith and patience. So the Bible mentions hyper joy, hyper faith, hyper patience. That's hyper grace. The power of sin in our life is destroyed by overflowing grace. And that's why Romans 5.17 says, By receiving abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under Where are you? Under law, under grace. So sin shall not have dominion. The word dominion means control. Leader, master over you. Sin, hamarshia, sin, the power, the force, will not have control over you. Because you are not under law, but under grace. The power of sin is destroyed through grace. Hallelujah. So let me ask you this question. Is grace a license to sin? No. If grace teaches, go ahead and sin, it is not grace, it is wrong grace. It is not hyper grace. Are you with me? There is, you see, you cannot teach grace ever extreme. There's no such thing as extreme grace. You know why? Can you ever put a limit on grace? Can you count grace? Can you measure grace? then you can never preach extreme grace because grace is really extreme. But you can preach grace wrongly by not teaching the whole council. And that's how people go into errors. Okay, see, I told you in the early church, there was two errors, right? One was Judaizers, which is the people who focus on the law. You still have to keep the law. The other error was Gnosticism, right? We thought that body is evil, sin is uh, body is evil, uh, spirit is good. So the sins you commit in the in the body are okay because you are the real person is the spirit. So one branch of that belief caused people to just live sinful lifestyle. So where we get you know licentiousness. So these are two ditches. Two errors on either side of the gospel. One is legalism. The other is live however you want to live because God loves you. No, we have to walk the truth. The truth is when God's grace comes on your life, it will transform you and make you holy. Hallelujah. So God's grace is to enable you to overcome sin, not to continue in sin. But sometimes it takes time for people. It's not overnight. All of us are being constructed by God's grace. We will never come to a place in our spiritual life on the earth where we become perfect. But how many of you are better than last year? Right? You're better than last week? Yes, we are in process. It's a journey. There's no destination. So you should never condemn yourself if you don't change quickly, if you don't change as fast as you can. Amen. The main thing is that you're walking by faith regularly. Okay. 
So, grace is not a license to sin. Look at Titus. In fact, grace will teach you not to sin. Go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So, grace brings salvation. Teaching us, grace will teach you. It was only when I understood grace, I began to understand the Bible. And I began to understand God. You see, if only we teach faith, 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 faith all the time, it's too narrow. And it doesn't give a complete picture of God. Okay? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Can you say amen? Grace will teach you to live soberly, righteously and godly it's grace hallelujah so genuine grace teaching will destroy the power of sin of your life okay now does grace mean everyone is saved huh does grace mean everyone will go to heaven no people have to Believe. You have to exercise your free will and believe, right? So there is an extreme form of grace called universalism. Some preachers have fallen into that error where they say everyone will be saved because God is such a good God, He will never allow sinners to be condemned in hell forever. So eventually, everyone will be saved. They're teaching that. That's false. That's heresy. Everyone must believe. Okay? Alright. Now, another question. What is the unpardonable sin? I'm just trying to help you. Difficult questions about grace, I'm trying to answer for you. What is the unpardonable sin? Go to Matthew chapter 11. You guys are looking at me today as if first time in church. You've never heard the Bible before? Matthew chapter 12, 31 to 32. Let's read it together. 1, 2, 3. Okay, have you seen this verse before? Did you understand it? Huh? Have you ever had any thought, any feeling that you may have committed the unpardonable sin? Anyone? If you really love God, you should be bothered about that. Right? What is the unpardonable sin? Huh? What? That's for me the Holy Spirit. Okay. Has anyone of you ever made fun of people who speak in tongues? Then you have committed the unpardonable sin. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You have to understand. You just can't just accept things like blindly. Okay, what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit then? Huh? Not believing. Okay. See, many believers live in fear of this, that they have committed the unpardonable sin. A young man used to call me during the pandemic that he has committed the unpardonable sin, gone to so many prayer houses. Because his mind was weak, he was beginning to speak, you know, dirty words against the Holy Spirit, and he thought he has committed the unpardonable sin. Some of the counselors in the prayer houses told him, you have committed the unpardonable sin because you said bad things about the Holy Spirit. 
And with that, a deception entered his heart and mind. He began to lose his mind. He began to become psychotic, weird, cannot sleep. And this constant fear that he is committing the unpardonable sin. And therefore, he cannot help himself. He just cannot control his tongue. He just keeps on saying bad things about the Holy Spirit. So what is the unpardonable sin? Different denominations have different beliefs about that. Now, the context here is how when Jesus was driving out demons by the power of God, the Pharisees and the rulers attributed that to demonic power and said that Jesus was doing the signs and wonders through demonic power and not the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is in that context that Jesus says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Which is actually good news, right? Every sin, including blasphemy, the Bible says. So when you read this, don't see bad news here, see good news. Look in your Bible, verse 31. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, right? Underline that. Every sin. Jesus says, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men. That's good news. Woo! That's freedom. Amen. Every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men. But one, the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Now, question. Like I said before, how many of you used to make fun of the works of the Holy Spirit? When people fall down, when people cry, titi, to, to, to. You say, ah, that's not the Holy Spirit. How many of you used to do that? But now, do you speak in tongues? Do you speak in tongues? Why did the Holy Spirit fill you? You were against the Holy Spirit, but now you are filled. Yes or no? So many testimonies of people who were against the work of the Holy Spirit, tongues, miracles, signs and wonders, but now today they believe. It doesn't seem like God stopped them. So it is not really referring to ignorance of the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes by ignorance we say the works of the Holy Spirit are not from God. Right? It doesn't refer to the ignorance. It doesn't refer to the times when you make fun of people who speak in tongues, fall on the floor, rolling around. No. So what does it really mean? Okay. Is adultery the unpardonable sin? Some people say it's adultery. Is it murder? Huh? Is it suicide? Suicide. Oh, it's a big thing. Is it suicide? What is the unpardonable sin? Go to Mark chapter 3. It's there the same. It's the same. So we don't have to go there. Just write down this reference. Mark chapter 3, 28 to 30. Mark chapter 3, 28 to 30. Okay. So, very simply, Jesus had been performing miracles, including driving out of demons by the power of the Spirit. And then instead of recognizing the source of Jesus' power and accepting him as God's son, the religious leaders accused him of being possessed by the devil and driving demons out in the power of the devil. So Jesus responds by saying, All sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Okay. 
So what is the sin of these of this religious leaders? Okay, just write it down. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was a refusal was a refusal to accept the witness of the Holy Spirit because you have to interpret this verse in the light of all the other verses about salvation, faith, and grace, right? So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a refusal, write it down, to accept the witness of the Holy Spirit as to who Jesus was and what he had come to do. You, you see it now? The leaders were refusing to accept the witness of the Holy Spirit. What is the witness of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit was working mightily, powerfully through Jesus, healing, delivering. That's the witness of the Spirit. Pointing to this man called Jesus from Nazareth, a carpenter. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. The Holy Spirit was witnessing about Jesus to everyone. But everyone, the rulers, the Jews, they refused to accept the witness of the Holy Spirit as to who Jesus is, the anointed one, and what He had come to do to save them from their sins. Amen. They chose to reject the Spirit's witness about Jesus and the sins and accused Him of being demon-possessed. Why? Because this goes in line with other scriptures that say, if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are in danger of eternal condemnation. Right? So the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, when you hear the gospel and your heart tells you, accept, 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 but you do not accept, do you know who you are rejecting? Can you tell me who? Huh? The Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit convicts the hearts of the world, sinners of sin. Do you know that in every salvation, the Holy Spirit is the unseen agent? You cannot be born again without the Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes. The Holy Spirit works in your heart. The Holy Spirit is whispering, You need Jesus, you need Jesus. Not in English, but you can sense, Ah, oh, I need Jesus, right? Have you ever spelled that? And that's why you went to the altar call, right? Because you accepted the witness of the Spirit in your heart. But when you reject Jesus, you're also rejecting the Holy Spirit. And that sin cannot be forgiven. So, question, how many of you believe in Jesus? How many of you are born again? You cannot commit the unpardonable sin. Can you say Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. Show you this difficult portion of scripture. Many people think that they lose their salvation because of this. Hebrews 10, 26. These are all very difficult portions of scripture that we are talking at right now. 
you need to understand properly. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Wow. Ooh. Danger, man. Huh? Listen carefully. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of? Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and... Read the last part. Insulted the spirit of? Spirit of? Who is the spirit of grace? Huh? Who is the spirit of grace? Some of you are saying, Jesus. Who is the spirit of grace? The Holy Spirit. How do you insult the spirit of grace? When you hear the gospel of Jesus, that He died for your sins, and yet you walk away, and go back to your own beliefs that is by your own works and performance you will be saved. You have insulted the spirit of grace. Okay. You know why? Because, go to John chapter 16. Let me show you one of the roles, functions of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16. Are you there? Look at verse 8. When he has come, John 16 verse 8. You see that? When he has come, talking to about whom? Huh? When he has come, who is the he? John 16 verse 8. When he has come, right, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world or the church. The world or the church. The world of believers. Huh? The world. For God so loved the world. That means the whole world. Sinners. He will convict the world. The church or the world. Huh? Okay. So does he convict believers of sin? Or does he convict the world of sin? The world. Sinners. He convicts them of sin. To the believers. He convicts us of Another thing called righteousness. Alright? But no time for that. When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So, listen. You go to a crusade. You and your friends. You don't believe in God. Preacher is preaching. Jesus loves you, Jesus. And when preacher is preaching, your heart is telling you, ah, I'm a sinner. I'm, I need Jesus. I need salvation. That's not your heart. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. But you don't know it. So, and he gives the altar call. When people are growing up, you feel like, I need to go in. Anyone never felt like that? But you stopped back. And you did not go. Anyone did that? You did not go? Yes. But praise God for his grace. He gave you many more chances. But that's called the conviction of the Spirit. The Spirit of grace working in the heart. But there may come a time when you just walk away completely. Insult the spirit of grace. For that sin, there is no forgiveness. Then what about Hebrews chapter 10, pastor? Who were these people that the author was referring to? Can I lose my salvation? 
You see, the people in the book of Hebrews were, remember I told you, who wrote, to whom was it written, right? So to whom was it written, the book of Hebrews? Huh? If I have a chapter called to the Nagas, to whom have I written that? To the Nagas, right? So the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews, the Jews. And it was written to a group of Hebrews who had heard the gospel about Jesus. That the sacrifice of the new covenant is greater than the sacrifice of the old. Jesus is greater than all the animals of the old covenant. Jesus is greater than Moses. They've heard it. They've heard it. They have received the word. But they were walking away from Jesus and going back to Judaism. They were walking away from grace and going back to the law. They were rejecting the gospel of salvation. And it was written specifically to those people. So that's not a verse for believers. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 onwards. It's not for believers. It's for people who heard about Jesus but were walking away. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, now turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ, I mean separated. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from? You have fallen from? What does it mean to fall from grace? Have you ever heard the term before? The secular media uses this a lot. Times, CNN, journalists. When someone makes a mistake, they say, fallen from grace. Many years back, there was this TV evangelist called Jim Baker. He fell because of some sin. The news of it was all over the nation, all over the world. And many Journalists, media outlets reported it as fallen from grace. Even right now, with the scandal in Hillsongs, whatever has happened, many people have written on the internet, fallen from grace. So what does it mean? Every time the world uses a Bible term to describe something, you must understand it's wrong. Okay? And the problem is, many Christians just pick up the same and they say the same as the secular media without understanding what the Bible is saying. Have you heard the term before, fallen from grace? Yes. What does it mean? We have to study the scripture according to the context. Okay. Okay. Very simply, I'll give you the answer right now. To fall from grace, write it down. To fall from grace is to stop trusting in grace. To fall from grace is to stop trusting in Jesus. As simple as that. Sinning does not make you fall from grace. We use the term backslide. No? Backslide meaning he's gone back to his all sins so he has fallen from grace. No, you cannot fall from grace. To fall from grace is to stop trusting in grace. Now what was happening in the church at Galatia? Paul had come and preached grace to them. And establish them in grace. But some people called Judaizers, the first heresy in the early church, 
They came and brought a mixture. Grace plus law. Grace plus Moses. They brought a mixture and says, believing is not enough, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. It's right, the gospel. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's the right answer? Huh? Do you receive the Spirit by the law or by faith? By faith, which means by grace, right? Freely. Are you so foolish? Again, we can say the same to the church today. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit means having begun in grace. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? See, the believers at Galatia were deceived by the Judaizers. They were saved by grace. The Holy Spirit was working. Miracles were happening in the church. Okay? They were experiencing tremendous life. Then these Judaizers came and said, Listen, the gospel that Paul preaches is a weak gospel. He says, believe in Jesus. But really, you must not only believe, you must also have works. You must also have the law. So they brought a mixture. And they said, yes, you are saved by faith, but you will be fully perfected. You will become strong. You will mature. You will see more of God's blessing by your own performance. That's what they taught. And because they stopped trusting in grace, depending on themselves, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, you have fallen from grace. Not because they sinned, but because they trusted in themselves. Would you say? Huh? Amen. Look at verse 5. He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? When God does miracles in the church, is it because of grace and faith or is it because of works? Grace and faith. Amen. So that is the reason why Paul wrote this letter to the people at Galatia. Because mixture had come. Okay? And what was happening was that they were beginning to lose their joy in Christ. They were beginning to lose their victory in Christ. Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? Now if you read this in context, what Paul means is this. Did you know that when the gospel was first preached to you, you believed, you received the Spirit by faith, God was working miracles and signs among you, the blessing of God was there, and you were really enjoying the blessing of God, right? Now Paul is writing them and saying, what happened to that blessing? What happened to the joy? What happened to the rejoicing in the church? And in the context, he says, for, because now, instead of trusting in Christ, you have begun to observe days, you've begun to observe months, you've begun to observe the law, and when you started doing those things, the work of the Spirit began to be lesser and lesser and lesser. The blessing of God became lesser and lesser and lesser in your church. What happened to that blessing you used to enjoy? Remember people say, Sin stopped the revival. Have you heard that term before? Oh, God was moving. There was so much revival happening. But because of sin, it stopped. Have you heard that before? 
probably because you don't read a lot of Christian books. But you hear that commonly in a lot of books. This revival that was happening here, this revival happening in this place, why did it stop? People come to the conclusion, because of sin. Can sin stop revival? See, the fact that revival came, it means the grace of God came to a sinful place in the first place. Who needs revival? Sinning people or righteous people? Sinning people. Revival comes to places of sin, right? Sin cannot stop revival. Revival is needed where there is sin. Amen. See, what will cause the blessing of God, the work of the Spirit in your own life to diminish, become lesser and lesser is when you start depending on yourself, on your own works and not the grace of the Lord. And that's why Paul wrote this and he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, go back there again. You have become estranged. The word estranged also means alienated, separated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So, we must understand there is a definite difference between the law and Jesus. You cannot have both in your life. If you want the law, you have to keep the whole law. If you want Jesus, you cannot go back to the law. It is impossible to mix the two. Okay? It's impossible to mix the two. If you trust in the law, it means you don't trust in Jesus. And the Bible says, if you want to keep the works of the law, make sure you keep everything. Because if you don't, you are cursed. If you want to trust in Jesus, you have to abandon the law. You know why? Because these are two husbands. In Romans chapter 7. Don't have to go there. But Paul says the law was your first husband. Jesus is your second husband. How many of you, if you married two men at one time, it's breaking the law? It's illegal, right? Before Christ, we were all married to the law. Go to Romans sub 7. Are you there, verse 1? Do you not know, brethren, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Can you see that? The law is a husband and Jesus is another husband. And if you are married to two men at the same time, I tell you, you'll be the worst wife because you cannot please two men. It's impossible even to please one husband. Right? Those who are married, you know. Right, sister? So if you are trying to please the law and please Jesus at the same time, that's where all the confusion in the church comes from. Paul is saying, hey, you don't know. You don't know the truth. What happened to you when you accepted Jesus? You died. You died. See, if your first husband dies, you are free to marry another husband, right? And it is not against the law. You're free to marry. 
So now the Bible is saying, you died. In Christ, you died. So that now you are free to marry another who is Jesus Christ. That means there is a complete separation between Jesus and the law. If you trust in Jesus, don't go back to the law. Because going back to the law means you have fallen from grace. Grace is a high position, people. It's not a law. Law position is law. Fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. Some people think the law is greater than grace. No. You cannot go higher than grace. Hallelujah. That was happening to the church at Galatia. They had gone back to the law and fallen from grace. What are the dangers of falling from grace? When you take away grace from any congregation, any family, any person, what happens is that you will see strife, fighting, bickering, envy, hatred, all the works of the law. Judgment, accusation, criticisms. So that's what it means to fall from grace. It is not by sinning. You cannot fall from grace by a mistake or by a sin. It's when you trust in the law, you fall from grace. Okay? Alright. Because you never know when they will accept Jesus, right? And we know that God is gracious. God is gracious. There are people who accept Jesus after 30 years of somebody praying for them. So, Committing the unpardonable sin, I believe we will never know from our end. Only God knows the state of the heart. And therefore, when people don't accept Jesus Christ, we should keep on praying for them. I think we'll be surprised at who we see in heaven. Some people we thought should never be there will be there. And some people we thought will be there may not be there. Alright, so we should continue to pray for them because... It's not like they are committing it with finality if they reject Christ once. I also rejected Christ many times. But God was gracious to keep on running after me. So we must definitely keep on praying for them. Okay? So what is the gospel of grace? The gospel of grace is the only gospel. Write it down. There is no other gospel. In the Bible. There's only one gospel. It's the gospel of grace. And the grace of God is what makes the good news the good news. The good news is good news because it has grace in it. With law, it is no longer good news. See, it is the grace of God that saves us. It is the grace of God that sanctifies us. And keeps us secure to the very end. What is grace? Grace is the love of God that comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ. So grace is not separated from love. Love of God that is received becomes grace. The love of God that is demonstrated becomes grace. When the love of God reaches us personally, it becomes grace. And what's the gospel of grace? It means this. God who sits on the throne of grace 
wants to share his life with us. It's God sharing his life with us. It's not just forgiving us, but giving us a whole new life, changing our state, our condition forever. Amen. What does the gospel look like? The gospel looks like Jesus. Right on. What does the gospel look like? The gospel looks like Jesus. Teaching, preaching, forgiving, healing, delivering, blessing, doing miracles. Amen? So grace is not just a message. It is a person. Because of grace, I can say, God loves me unconditionally. God accept me just the way I am. God has forgiven me of all my sins. God holds nothing against me. God justifies me, makes me righteous. God makes me a brand new creation. And I'll be doing a class with you called Righteousness and New Creation. So I'll be continuing further in the message of grace. True grace is hyper. Write it down. True grace is hyper. Hyper means super. Overflowing. Abundant. Immeasurable. What is not the gospel of grace? Mixture is not the gospel of grace. Law and grace mixed. Conditional forgiveness is not the gospel of grace. Dependence or trusting in self is not the gospel of grace. Trusting in self. How can you tell the difference between a grace message and a graceless one? A grace message will leave you praising God and thanking Jesus. The message of grace will always point to Christ, point to the cross, and it will make you thank God, praise Jesus, and live in rest. Grace will produce rest and peace in your heart. Will point to Christ. When you believe grace, it produces rest and peace. When you trust in the law, Legalism, it produces restlessness and anxiety. Have you ever in your own life made promises to God again and again and again? I will never do this again. I will never do this again. Anyone ever said that? How many times have you said that? Huh? Can you ever keep that promise? It's impossible for you. But we... Think God wants to hear that, right? Ah, I'm so sorry, Lord. I will never do it again. And after one day, Lord, I said I'll never do it again, but I, ah, Lord, I promise again I'll never do it again. See, a grace-based gospel will not focus on your promises. I will not do it again, Lord. I will not do it. A grace-based gospel focuses on His promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are forgiven. Are you following me? So stop focusing on your works, on what you do, on your promises. Focus on His works, what He has done, and His promises. A mistake that many believers make is this. They think grace is only for unbelievers. But for the church, we think we need a harder message. 
the truth is. The meat of the word is grace. Grace is what the church needs every day. Not only the world, the church. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.